We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Cats and kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bett, to full press coverage. It's great to be back with y'all after taking a two-week break because I came down with COVID after returning home from the Senior Bowl, but thankfully I didn't have to go to the hospital. It was a very moderate case and I am okay right now. And since all that happened, the 2022 NFL season concluded with a hard-fought Super Bowl to remember as the Chiefs squeaked by the Eagles 38-35 to to win their second Lombardi Trophy in just four seasons. And now, we brace ourselves for a so-called offseason that is expected to include another fascinating quarterback carousel, some major assistant coaching jobs still in the process of being filled as we approach Combine Week, a draft with a big mystery, and I mean a big mystery at the top, and a lot more to be determined. The games might be over for now, but the NFL never takes a vacation, and I am stoked for a huge avalanche of activities across the league in the next few weeks. How are you, Hal? I certainly am, David. There is no rest. There is no off season. It is full speed ahead. Uh, coaching combine, you said it. Things are not slowing down anytime soon here with the NFL, and I love it. Oh, you said it, Hal. The NFL doesn't take a vacation, and we here at Sports Crunch aren't taking a vacation either. As myself, Hal, and a bunch of other guests to be determined. We will have you covered on all things free agency, draft, combine, you name it, over these next several months, which are going to be very, very, very busy in the National Football League. But before we talk about all of that, let's recap what we saw in Super Bowl 57, starting with the biggest lesson learned. You go first here, Hal. Uh, well, you know, the easy thing I was going to say is, you know, is this a legacy game? Is it the, the you know, the... Andy Reid cementing his Hall of Fame candidacy with the second Super Bowl, but I think he was already there. So I'm going to throw that out. I'm going to go to something that I heard after the Super Bowl from recently retired backup quarterback Chad Henney, and he was talking about a play called Corn Dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did right one, there. If there was one thing in that fourth quarter, those touchdown passes uh, to Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony down at the goal line. I was sitting there amazed that the vaunted Eagles defense left both of those guys completely open, waltz in, easy touchdown, not even breaking a sweat. And I was sitting there going, how did this happen? How did this happen? And so this is a play that, Former offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy identified in his research, watching tape, seeing what Jacksonville did against the Eagles in week four at the goal line, brought this up on Saturday night as a point of emphasis to the entire offense as well, specifically Mahomes. They ran the play twice, just like it did for Jacksonville. It worked into an easy 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 touchdown so uh, the lesson learned for all the criticism of Eric Bieniemy not calling plays in his time in Kansas City 
a huge part of that success was the token Rooney rule man who interviewed for over a dozen head coaching jobs, didn't get it, had to leave to Washington to take the OC position so he could call plays and hopefully get hired as a head coach someday. But that play ran it twice against the best defense in the NFL, and it was his hard work that identified it, implemented it, and he's probably not getting enough credit for it, but he should be. Excellent, excellent point there, Hal. Eric Bietami might not have been calling the plays in Kansas City, but he was designing the plays. And it was his research that made the difference in Super Bowl 57. And I just hope he uh, achieves a lot of success in Washington with the commanders so he can finally get that long overdue head coaching job. And my biggest lesson learned is that the Chiefs are a dynasty in the making. And a big reason why is this. Compare them to the NFL's last greatest dynasty, the Patriots. The Patriots were able to win six Super Bowls because they had a lethal combination of a future Hall of Fame head coach in Bill Belichick and a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time as we speak. Yet the Chiefs, they have a similar pairing in Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid was already going to be a Hall of Famer, regardless of the outcome of a Super Bowl 57, but uh, his play calling that day all but cemented it. I completely agree. And Patrick Mahomes, as we're going to talk about in just a little bit, uh, Tom Brady may be the GOAT now, but Patrick Mahomes is only 27 years old. He's already won two Super Bowls. It might not be for long. So uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are a dynasty in the making. They are far from done. And everybody in the AFC, especially the AFC West, uh, that probably was an unpleasant experience watching that Super Bowl, just realizing just how big the test is ahead of them. After they all thought that the Chiefs would take a big step back after trading away Tyree Kill, how wrong they were. And now on to our GOAT of the game in Super Bowl 57. And I'm going to go with a guy on the losing team who many people believe should have been the MVP, Jalen Hurts. That Eagles defense absolutely fell asleep in the second half. But Jalen Hurts was the reason why the Eagles stood tall for 60 minutes in that game and just came oh so short in pulling off another Super Bowl win. Jalen Hurts just put that team on his back, constantly moved that ball up and down the field with his legs, with his arm. He did it all, and it's not just what I say. That's what Patrick Mahomes says. Patrick Mahomes himself said after the game is that there should be no more doubt that Jalen Hurts is a legitimate franchise quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl because of and not in spite of. Jalen Hurts was my GOAT of Super Bowl 57, and I think that's just the beginning of Jalen Hurts we just saw this season. Amen, David. It was a coming-out performance for a lot of uh, average Americans who may not uh, be deep into the NFL and only watching the regional games. They got to see the greatness of Jalen Hurts there, that dual-threat quarterback, 
and how that can be such a strength and, and how he carried that offense. That's a great choice for go to go to the game. Uh, go to the game. I'm going to go a little outside the box here. I'm looking at Chiefs general manager Brett Veach. Oh, nice. Uh, who scored the touchdowns? Okay, Travis Kelsey, the first one. I'll throw that one out. But second round pick, 2021, Nick Bolton, 58th overall. You have been on the Nick Bolton train for years since he was drafted Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what a steal he was at mm-hmm. 58th overall but not just it isaiah pacheco seventh round pick this year steal at running back instant speed that running game carried that offense in the second half as well uh mckinnon with some big runs mahomes had a big run but pacheco did a lot of work as well uh, Sky Moore, the much maligned second round pick this year, uh, getting that touchdown as well. So hopefully somebody that is one of those young receivers that's just got to get that system down. He scored a touchdown. And last, Kadarius Tony, the stolen from the Giants, a third round comp pick and a sixth round pick, and they get a first round talent there. Um, you know, Tony also had that huge punt return in the game that turned that game right there as well. Uh Brett Veach, take a bow. You, and I, I haven't even gone, I'm not even going to say anything about the offensive line right now, but uh, <laughs> Brett Veach, talk about building a winner, finding finding the, the players in different places, and Andy Reid putting them in the position to succeed. He's my go to the game. Oh, very, very good point. The Chiefs passed two drafts, 2021 and 2022, help them uh, change their identity as a team a a little bit to compensate for Tyree Kill's departure. They got a lot better on defense. They became a lot more methodical on offense. And Brett Veach's draft classes of these past two seasons are a big, big reason why. Couldn't agree more there. And now on to our dunce of Super Bowl 57. Uh, You go first here, Hal. All right. Um, You know what? I am going to that Chiefs offensive line because they dominated. So Hassan Reddick, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Josh Sweat, Sue, Jordan Davis. I mean, uh, Linval Joseph, Brandon Graham, Milton Williams. Where were you? No sacks, no big plays, nothing, nothing, especially the second half. Kansas City offensive line dominated the Eagles defensive line, which it was supposed to be the difference maker who I was banking on and why I was telling everyone I was picking the Eagles was because of that defensive line. And I said, Oh, it's going to look just like when Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl where that defensive line dominated the chiefs offensive line. I said, there's just too much talent. And you know what? They, you know, credit the chiefs offensive line. They showed up and they took care of them, but dominant players, there were none of them there for the Eagles on that defensive line, and that's how they lost that game. That was a huge part of that, not getting any pressure on an injured Patrick Mahomes who did not have all that mobility he usually has. That was definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest reasons why the Eagles lost the Super Bowl because of their inability to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. But my dunce of the game goes to referee Carl Sheffers. Carl Sheffers. The Chiefs would have won that game regardless, I think. Uh, But 
you didn't apply your let them play principle for 60 minutes. And if you had just done so, we would have had a much more dramatic ending to Super Bowl 57 that NFL fans deserve. That's all I can say, man. Like, uh, that was the right call. James Bradbury yep. clearly held Juju Smith-Schuster. But there were clear holds by both teams, teams throughout most of the game. You should have thrown those flags before and not waited until the last minute to break principle. Like, what were you thinking? This is why team, uh, teams and fans everywhere just despise NFL officiating right now. It's just maddeningly, and I mean maddeningly inconsistent. You didn't apply that principle throughout the game like you should have. If you let them play the first quarter, you have to let them play with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. It's as simple as that. Kyle Chevers, you did not do that, and that's why you are my dunce for Super Bowl 57. And uh, continuing on a brief conversation, we had just a uh, – minute ago earlier this week the nfl on fox posted a graphic and that graphic uh compared the accomplishments of patrick mahomes to those of tom brady at age 27 and the similarities are absolutely staggering uh mahomes five pro bowls at age 27 brady two at age 27 mahomes two first team all pros at age 27 brady at none Brady, three Super Bowl wins by age 27. Mahomes with two. Two Super Bowl MVPs for Brady at age 27. Two for Mahomes at age 27. 48 and 14 regular season record for Brady at age 27. 64 and 16 regular season record for Mahomes at age 27. 97 uh, passing touchdowns for Brady at 27. 192 for Mahomes at 27. So you, you get my drift here. But uh, that said, uh, Patrick Mahomes still has a lot of work to do to uh, take the title of the GOAT away uh, from Tom Brady. And uh, winning seven Super Bowls is a tall order, if not the tallest of tall orders. But it's not just about the rings you win, it's how you win them. So my question is, if Patrick Mahomes wins two to three more Super Bowls in the fashion that he just did against the Eagles, do you think he'd have a powerful case to be considered as the GOAT over Tom Brady when all is said and done? Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. With, without a doubt. Look, uh, Tom Brady pretty much said the same thing himself, talking about uh, you know some of these young quarterbacks out there and singling out Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and how much he enjoys watching them plays. Look, if there's one consistency in the NFL – it's that records are made to be broken and that all of these records that Brady is setting here are all going to fall someday. There, there's nothing that's unbreakable here. Um, you know, <laughs> and for every goat that comes along, there's always another one. And, you know, I, I mean, I remember it was, you know, the, you know, we had the Marino versus uh, Joe Montana debate there and Montana running the wing, winning, winning the rings, Mon uh, Marino setting the passing records, you know, <laughs> uh, the Brady Manning. And now we're <laughs> yeah. going to have the, the Mahomes, the Hertz, Herbert, whoever, throw them all in there. Josh Allen, um, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there there's so many great young quarterbacks, and they're getting better, and we're seeing that. 
Uh, Patrick Mahomes certainly leading the charge on that, and he gets all the attention for those uh, those escapability plays that he makes, the the no look passes, the behind the back. But to me, the biggest thing I saw this year losing Tyreek Hill, adapting to an offense, missing a dominant playmaker, big play, and really dialing in on that mental side of the game, winning the game before the game is played with the work and practice and watching film, winning the game in the pre-snap adjustments, seeing what the defense is doing, communicating it with your offensive line receivers and knowing what he's doing before the ball is even snapped winning before there that is the huge mental part of the game that makes the great athletes into the great players and he took that step this year um and all the credit in the world for that it's you know as far as i'm concerned yeah i i think he will and i think when he's whenever he hangs it up yeah, he's got a great case. I think it's very likely um, in the situation he's in with this team, he should be have that opportunity. And definitely, um, like I said, <laughs> everything, you know, uh, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. And, and this is just the next step in that evolution. Yeah, yeah when Patrick Mahomes uh, first uh, stepped into the starting lineup in uh, 2018, when I first saw him, the Bears fan in me who endured nearly 30 years of torture and counting of watching Brett Favre <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers disappoint them year after year after year after year after year in Patrick Mahomes immediately. I saw a guy with the athleticism of Brett Favre, if not more athleticism than Brett Favre, yet also the smarts of Aaron Rodgers. People often forget how smart Aaron Rodgers is. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is such a smart quarterback. Patrick Mahomes has always had those smarts. He just utilized those smarts more than ever this year, as you've said. Uh, like uh, Matt Waldman, who is one of the best uh, football minds out there, when he was analyzing college film of Patrick Mahomes entering the 2017 NFL draft, he said that Patrick Mahomes, he's not your ordinary gunslinger. He's an exceptionally good decision maker for a gunslinger. So he's always had these smarts. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's you're you're seeing that in these young quarterbacks that are coming out now this next generation of quarterbacks the joe burrows i mean there's a gunslinger but he knows when to dial it back and when to push it uh in that same vein as mahomes josh allen once he put those pieces together same thing brought that dynamic arm and brought that decision making and the ability to break down the defense um you know this next generation of quarterbacks, they're coming into the NFL um, with all the tricks and the trades, and they're coming in. They've been watching film since they were eight years old. They've watched the quarterbacks ahead of them. They they understand the work that needs to go in and, you know, have been in these passing camps and picking up all these tips going forward. So, yeah, that's that's what makes it such an exciting uh, time is that the evolution of the game is it gets evolving into more of a, a passing and, and dual threat quarterbacks and RPOs and everything that we've seen in these last five, you know, five years or so, um, you know, just catch a game on, you know, uh, ESPN classic or something from 20 years ago. And it's, you know, the passing game has evolved so much 
And that's because they're putting more on the quarterbacks and the quarterbacks are coming up and accepting it and growing on that mental side. So yeah, that's a huge, great point there, David. And again, all the Mitchell Trubisky condolences to the Bears fan in you as well. Oh boy, Hal, please, please don't remind me. But uh, that said, that that's all in the past. And the vast majority of the NFL missed out on Patrick Mahomes uh, as well. Like, like the two guys in the NFL that love Patrick Mahomes the most coming out of college were obviously Andy Reid and Sean Payton. And uh, had Andy Reid and the Chiefs not traded up to 10 overall to take Patrick Mahomes in 2017, Mahomes would have been the 11th overall pick to the New Orleans uh, Saints. And speaking of Sean Payton, let's talk about that coaching carousel. And the last time you and I did an episode was before conference championship weekend. And at the time of the recording, there was some buzz leaking D'Amico Ryans to the Broncos head coaching job. But that turned out to be premature as D'Amico Ryans ended up as head coach of the team that drafted him in 2006, the Houston Texans. And now let's grade the Texans hire of D'Amico Ryans as head coach. And I'm going to go first. A- Plus, Houston Texans, you have a golden opportunity ahead of you right here with Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans working together. Uh, probably the best decision Bob McNair ever made was getting rid of Jack Easterby earlier this year. And with Easterby yes. uh, now out of the picture, you've got uh, Nick Casario, who was uh, one of Bill Belichick's revered as scouting assistants in New England, and D'Amico Ryans, who is cut from the same cloth as my two personal favorite head coaches in the NFL right now, Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin. Both those guys are players' coaches who players absolutely love to play for, yet they always seem to strike the right balance between being a player's best buddy and annoying the hell out of those players with their attention to the small details that determine winning or losing uh, in the NFL week after week after week. He was my favorite head coach on the market this cycle, and uh, he was linked to the Texans for a reason right from the beginning. And uh, kudos to the Texans for making it happen. A+. Agree, David. This one, sound that simpatico alert. I am in complete 100% agreement. This is an A-plus hire. Um, all the reasons you just listed, you know, only thing I'm going to add on to that is this is the type of person who walks in the room, gives this organization the instant credibility that they are so, so desperate for. So great hire, A+. And D'Amico Ryans ended up being the Broncos' second choice for their head coaching job to only Jim Harbaugh, who obviously stayed at Michigan. But instead of expanding their search, the Broncos ended up trading the 2023 first-round pick they got in the Bradley Chubb trade, plus a 2024 second-round pick to the Saints for Sean Payton, who happened to be their third choice. And heck, the Broncos, I believe, happened to be Sean Payton's third or fourth choice as he preferred the Cowboys, the Chargers, or Rams had those jobs open up. And factoring in that trade compensation, plus the high possibility, if not likelihood, of Rex Ryan coming out of retirement to be Sean Payton's defensive coordinator in Denver, how would you grade the Broncos hire of Sean Payton as their new head coach, Hal? Ah, uh, boy. You know, I love Sean Payton. Um, you know, glad he's not doing the Sunday night football anymore. I didn't think that was a great skill set for him out there on the field before the game. Um, but... Uh, you know, for the Broncos, I don't know. I mean, I think Rex Ryan's been out of football for, you know, sitting in the 
pregame booth there for the last four or five years. Uh, the game is making leaps and bounds forward. This could be a you know disaster of epic proportions if he's in as defensive coordinator. Also, just all of the compensation for a team that already had given away so much for Russell Wilson, and now you know giving away so much for Sean Payton. It's a very very risky maneuver. You know, I'll always say for you know coaches and draft pick compensation if you're hiring the right guy it's not going to matter at the end of the day but that was a lot to give up for him you already gave up a lot hey you got to get these players to play on the field from somewhere and more draft pick compensation out the window is not ideal i gotta give it a c minus in this case david my goodness, Hal, has the world gone topsy-turvy? <laughs> you gave the Broncos an even harsher grade than I gave them for this hire. Oh, my goodness. I'm giving this a B-plus because, like you, I love Sean Payton, but I want to see the plan going forward first. What is his plan to fix Russell Wilson, A? And what is the plan if that fails? Do they have a plan to like uh, trade away uh, more players to get more assets to potentially uh, trade up for a quarterback in the first round next year? Uh, like uh, what is their plan to recoup some of the draft assets they uh, gave up for Sean Payton? Like uh, rumor has it, they could be trading Cortland Sutton. Can they get like a second or a third out of that uh, uh, this year or uh, next year even? Uh, like uh, the Broncos are at a big fork in the road right now. And I'm not going to give this higher a day until I see what the plan is going forward. Plus uh, Rex Ryan, uh, that would be a risky hire given how long uh, he's been out of the league and how anachronistic uh, his defense might be. But this news just broke. According to Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero, the Broncos interviewed Matt Patricia today wow. for that defensive coordinator job. Get that. Matt Patricia, uh, granted, uh, Rex Ryan is uh, still the front runner until he isn't, but uh, Sean Pate is clearly leaving no stone unturned in that uh, defensive coordinator search. And uh, I just thought I'd share that nugget with uh, our uh, listeners. And uh, so uh, B minus for me for Sean Payton, C minus uh, from Hal. So we're pretty much on the same page there. Yet not only did the Eagles lose Super Bowl 57, they lost both their coordinators to head coaching jobs. And we start with now former Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen becoming the new head coach of the Colts. Uh, let's grade this sire, starting with you, Hal. Well, I like Shane Steichen, but, you know, the Colts, in in a way, you almost want to give it an A-plus because it's not Jeff Saturday, okay? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that that's huge right there. But I am going to give it a B-minus. I, you know... I look at Shane Steichen and I say, you know, is he going to be as good as Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell, Eric Bieniemy? You know, uh, could you have gone out and got, you know, Steve Wilkes, Raheem Morris, Brian Flores, Leslie Frazier? I mean, there's great coaches out there that are passed over. And I understand the shiny object of Steichen. So, um, you know, like I said, it's not Jeff Saturday, but I'm giving it a B minus. I actually have to give this one an A because wherever Shade Steichen is coached, he has got the utmost out of that quarterback, whether it be Phillip Rivers, whether it be uh, Jalen Hurts, 
uh, you name it. Shane Steichen was a big factor in the development of Jalen Hurts these past couple of years. And whatever quarterback the Colts choose, he's going to have an excellent opportunity to grow with Shane Steichen. I'm giving it an A. Because uh, Shane Steichen was a lot of uh, favorites amongst uh, those on NFL Twitter uh, because he just knows how to uh, get the most out of whatever quarterback he trots out there. Just ask Phillip Rivers about it. So Shane Steichen gets an A from me and a B minus from Hal. But you have a good point, Hal. Uh, just because you love Shane Steichen, the Colts, uh, they got a lot of work to do. And it all depends on getting that quarterback position right. And if they don't, it's not going to matter. And uh, while uh, Shane Steichen, might have been the most uh, popular name in the land of NFL Twitter. Now former Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon was even more popular amongst NFL teams with the head coach vacancy this cycle. As our friend Benjamin Albright of 850 KOA Radio in Denver reported, every GM of a team with a head coaching vacancy this hiring cycle had their eyes on Jonathan Gannon. How would you grade the hire of Jonathan Gannon as a new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah, I mean, for Arizona, I mean... Clearly, they were going to go with a defensive coach after having the Cliff Kingsbury disaster there on the offensive side. So for them, I mean, automatically, that makes it a, a solid grade right there. Um, you know, really like Gannon. Uh, was a great fit in Philadelphia. You know, ugh, I just the, the I'm, I'm going to give it a B plus only because, you know, he got out coached in the Super Bowl there and you know reminds me you know you just brought up Matt Patricia and my brain neurons started firing and I remembered him going up against Philly right before he got hired in Detroit and uh he got out coached in the Super Bowl there as well and that's all of a sudden brought that from an A minus uh down to a B plus here for me because that scared me a little there um you know we can't get a you know we can't get a job here um, you know, for Eric Bieniemy, who outcoaches Gannon, who is the most popular head coaching candidate out there. So uh, that'll bring it down just a pinch for me. Um, hey, Gannon, I'll be rooting for you, but I'm only giving it a B plus. I'm giving it a B at least so far, but this could become a B plus if he's able to get Mike Zimmer and or Mike Munchak on the staff with him because either one of those two as his assistant head coach would be tremendously helpful for Kim and Kim's uh, coordinators. Uh, Drew Petsing on offense and Nick Rawls on defense who are both very young, even younger than him as well. Gannon is 40, uh, Petsing is 35, Rawls is just 29. So this is a very young staff, but I like a lot of what Jonathan Gannon does. He's a he's a leader. Uh, like, for instance, uh, in 2021, in his first year as Eagles defensive coordinator, he told uh, Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman that they could draft all the offensive players they wanted, that he would coach the hell out of that defense that year. So that shows a, a side of his leadership. And the fact that he is saying that Kyler Murray is going to be forced to play under center more often than he has uh, in the past four years under Cliff uh, Kingsbury. And, and that and that is so smart. You, Kyler Murray needs somebody to tell him that he's going to have to learn to do certain things he hasn't learned how to do to date in order to have a more successful uh, career. So I really like what I've seen from Jonathan Gannon, uh, whether it be his career with the Colts uh, and uh, his uh current uh, brief tenure with, with with the Cardinals still in its fledgling stage, but he's assembled a pretty good young coaching staff so far, and he's going to get some experienced guys uh, to help fill that uh, experience void uh, going forward. And the Cardinals, they have 
a, a roster that is nearly bare of talent, dare I say. And Jonathan Gannon has experience in pro scouting with the then St. Louis Rams. So him having the scout side to go along with Monty Osborne, that could go a long way in revamping this roster. So I'm giving it a solid B here. And uh, now on to the coordinator cycle, which keeps uh, spinning as we speak. Not even a half day after the Cowboys and offensive coordinator Kellen Moore uh, mutually decided to part ways. Kellen Moore took the same job with the Chargers. Is Justin Herbert in for the best season of his career in 2023 with Kellen Moore now calling the place? Because keep in mind, Joel Lombardi really handcuffed him last season. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited to see uh, what Kellen Moore does with him. I think, you know, if anything, his play in Dallas, you know, incorporating the running game into the offense, uh, making his quarterback better um, by uh, forcing the, the defenses to adapt to different parts of that offense. I love that. Um, you know, very strange. I, I, I am really interested in what that story is with uh, Kellen Moore leaving uh, Dallas. But um, yeah, great hire for the Chargers. I think Herbert is going to be um, even better. This is exactly what he needed after that Joe Lombardi debacle last year. So uh, for the Chargers, yeah, this is a hire. I don't think anybody in Kansas City is excited about. Oh, definitely not, as uh, Justin Herbert is going to be fully unleashed uh, in 2023. And both you and I really like the Panthers sire of Frank Reich as their yeah. new head coach, even though they didn't give that job to uh, Steve Wilkes. But now, I love it even more, because just look at who Frank Reich has put on his staff. He got a Giro Ivero as his defensive coordinator coming over from the Broncos, where he did a magnificent job in a down season for the Broncos last year. And Ajiro Ivero, this guy was one of the hottest head coaching candidates yeah. this cycle, and he might be the hottest head coaching candidate in the 2024 head coaching cycle. And he got Rams assistant head coach Thomas Brown as his offensive coordinator, one of the fast-rising assistants on that side of the ball. And in addition, he got former NFL head coaches Jim Caldwell and Dom Capers, first ever Panthers head coach and senior assistants. Josh McCown is quarterback's coach. That's the perfect job for Josh McCown to start his NFL coaching career. Sean Jefferson is wide receivers coach. I'm going to be the best wide receiver coach in the business and on and on and on. Based on that stellar staff that Frank Reich has assembled in Carolina and add that to the young talent already there, are the Panthers a good early bet to win the NFC South in 2023? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if they brought Wilkes back, I would have had them as the favorite in the South. And, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, so many great hires. A Deuce Staley, assistant head coach, running back. Parks Frazier, escaping Indianapolis, just 31 years old as the passing game coordinator. I mean, this could be one of those coaching staffs that we look back on, like the, you know, Bill Belichick's Cleveland Browns or something, where it's like, you know, 10 years later, you've got 10 head coaches coming out of this staff. Um, you know, kept offensive line coach James Campen, who did an amazing job where we saw that running game uh, improve after they traded away <laughs> McCaffrey. I mean, just a deep 
strong, great coaching staff. I'm so excited to see the Panthers this year. Um, you know, we saw the talent on that team. And uh, like I said, and like you said, I mean, this could be a classic uh, all-time coaching staff. Oh, absolutely. And if they could just get that quarterback position right, watch out for the Panthers, not just the NFC South, but the NFC uh, in general. And uh, as far as the Eagles are concerned, in terms of replacing uh, Shane Steichen, uh, that should be a no-brainer with uh, Brian Johnson just promoting uh, him from quarterbacks coach to OC, and that's what's uh, clearly uh, expected to happen. Uh, Brian Johnson was also a key part of uh, the development of uh, Jalen Hurts and uh, him calling the plays. There shouldn't be that much of a drop-off, if at all. But filling the shoes of Jonathan Gannon on defense is a far more daunting task. And uh, the two candidates uh, in the mix uh, for that job are Seahawks assistant head coach, senior defensive assistant, and former Bears defensive coordinator, uh, Sean Desai, and former Cardinals defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. Of those two, which one would you prefer as Eagles defensive coordinator? You know, it's it's a very interesting i mean i'm gonna say every time you can't go wrong with vance joseph as your defensive coordinator i mean that's uh that's a no-brainer right there but you know as far as the philosophy of what they're going to do are you going to try to keep you know what gannon was doing it is what makes it an intriguing and you know uh, they had jim leonard in the running earlier but i guess he's got some health issues he's he pulled himself out of the DC mix uh, recently as well. And he was interesting because he's an exact opposite of Gannett. He's not a, you know, drop back on defense. Don't give up the big play, make the front four, do all the work on that pass rush. He's very aggressive blitz heavy. And so the fact that he was even in consideration is very interesting. Desai, I mean, he's from the, the Vic Fangio tree. Um, so, not going to probably change too much. So if they're going to keep that defensive philosophy, he's the best fit. But I think if you want to get the most out of that defense and, you know, maybe step out of their comfort level a little and see what they can do, uh, Vance Joseph, I mean, slam dunk, right? Uh, yes. And Vance Joseph is the other reported finalist for the Broncos defensive coordinator job. If you're Sean Payton, would you hire Vance Joseph over Rex Ryan? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'd be showing Ryan and Patricia the door in a second if I had Vince Joseph coming through. So no doubt there. Oh, hell, with an enthusiastic endorsement of a Vance Joseph return to Denver. And last but not least for our discussion on the coaching carousel, who was the best coordinator hire, at least so far this cycle? And I'm going to go first here. Uh, Vic Fangio, it's hard to argue against him uh, at no. the – uh, coup the Dolphins pulled off yeah. by being able to uh, lure him away from Frank Reich in Carolina uh, with, with all that uh, money at uh, David Tepper's disposal. Uh, but I am going to go with the 49ers hiring Steve Wilkes to replace D'Amico Ryan's at defensive coordinator. Like losing Robert Sala was hard. Losing D'Amico Ryan's could be even harder, but they couldn't have found the more perfect replacement for D'Amico Ryan's and Steve Wills. Just look at what he did as interim head coach of the Panthers. He absolutely took full control of that locker room. The players immediately bought it, and they balled their butts out for him. And I do not think the 49ers are going to see that big of a slip on defensive at all with Steve Wilkes now calling the plays there. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of like when Salah left and everybody said, well, here comes the big drop off and the defense improved, you know, (laughs) you know, I mean, you've got that opportunity here again, uh, like you said, leadership, uh, Wilkes just brings it to the table. You saw it in the players, how passionate they were to play for him. Uh, That's the kind of guy you want on your coaching staff. Definitely. Um, I'm going to go local with mine. Uh, my man, Billy O'Brien with the Patriots, you know, it was the slam dunk coming over from Alabama, but my God, if the Patriots had an offensive coordinator like Bill O'Brien in uh, 2022, they would have been a playoff team. I have no doubt about it. Uh, they wasted a great defensive performance this uh, past year, uh, took a huge step backwards with Mac Jones. Uh, they got to get back on track. So, uh, Bill O'Brien, as slam dunk as that was, uh, it's the move that had to be made, and it puts them immediately into playoff contention next year. Oh, very good point and good choice there, Hal. And yesterday, the two-week window for clubs to apply franchise tags open, and a player that is all but guaranteed to get the franchise tag is 2019 NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. The big question is, however... Is what version of the franchise tag the Ravens will use on him? The normal non exclusive rights franchise tag is set at $32.416 million for quarterbacks. And with this tag, Lamar Jackson would still be permitted to negotiate an offer sheet with other clubs, and the Ravens would have the right to match or refuse the offer sheet and get two first round picks in return if they decide to do the latter. However, There is also the exclusive rights franchise tag, which would preclude Lamar Jackson from negotiating with any team except for the Ravens. However, that tag is worth $45 million. So my question is, Sal, is it more prudent for the Ravens to slap the exclusive rights franchise tag on Lamar Jackson or to give him the $32.416 million non-exclusive rights tag, let another team make an offer, and then decide whether or not to match it. You know, my initial thought is give him the exclusive rights tag, even though it's more, and then you don't have to worry about anything. You've got him in the building for another year. He's happy. It's guaranteed money. But the more I think about that non-exclusive rights tag, I mean, we know the hang up with the Ravens and Lamar is Lamar wants that Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed contract, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the sticking point there. And I wonder if the Ravens will look at it and say, look, nobody's going to give him that. Maybe we give him that non-exclusive tag. The other team makes an offer. It's not fully guaranteed. And we're not the bad guys. All we have to do is match it and say, "Uh, you got what we wanted to give you after all. And see, it wasn't us. Nobody else was giving you that guaranteed money either. So it's a little risky, but, you know, that may play right into the Ravens' hands to say, let's go with the non-exclusive right tag. And worst case scenario, nobody gives them an offer and you save 13 million bucks. That's not a bad deal. Oh, absolutely. And plus, Lamar Jackson, he's acting as his own agent. Yes, he does have his own uh, lawyer to uh, interpret contractual language and stuff, but he's pretty much his own agent here. And uh, thus, there's uh, like a no sign that this thing is going to get resolved anytime soon. And uh, if you want a quicker resolution, maybe the non-exclusive rights franchise tag is the way to go. 
Yeah, I mean, that may be the case. And, you know, yeah, I mean, Lamar not as acting as his own agent. One hand, it's great. On the other hand, you know, he doesn't have that agent pushing him and saying, hey, just take the money, guaranteed, non-guaranteed. I need to get my cut here, my percentage, and I'm not waiting any longer. With that out the window, that drags things out. So, yeah, the non-exclusive tag, the more I think about it, the more I like the idea of Baltimore uh, doing that, taking a little risk there and see if they get what they want at the end. Yes, sad. Continuing with this franchise tag business, let's play a little game called Tag or No Tag. And in this game, I mentioned a player that's a candidate to receive the franchise tag. And uh, your job is to let me know whether you think they should be tagged or should not be tagged if they do not get a long-term deal by the March 7th, 4 p.m. Eastern time deadline, that is. And we start with Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. If there's no new contract in place for Geno Smith, by uh, 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on March 7th. Do you tag Geno Smith if you're the Seahawks? No-brainer. Tag him immediately. Yeah, (laughs) No doubt about it. Oh, I agree. I personally do not think uh, last season was a fluke for Geno Smith because there is something about Pete Carroll and quarterbacks, too. Pete Carroll just knows how to get whatever – uh, he could get out of any quarterback. He sneaks out of that field, and uh, Gino continues that tradition. I think he will continue that tradition. Uh, you definitely have to keep Gino Smith in the fold, even if it requires a temporary use of the franchise tag. But Daniel Jones, on the other hand, Ooh. it was reported by Pro Football Talk that Daniel Jones wants a contract that averages $45 million a year. I personally think that's too rich. And if Daniel Jones doesn't budge off of that number, I tag him and be willing to let him play this season on the tag to see whether or not his uh, 2022 performance was a fluke or not. Yeah, I... You know, with Brian Dable, the quarterback whisperer there, um, they may be willing to be a little risky there. I might go with the no tag on Jones and say, yeah, good luck, 45 million, good luck. You know, you have one year with Brian Dable where you were a playoff quarterback. Without him, you were terrible. Good luck. Uh, I'd have to go with the no tag here on Jones. Ooh, interesting strategy there. Uh, I personally think the Giants do use the franchise tag on Daniel Jones if they can't come to an agreement by the March 7th deadline. But uh, then again, uh, you never know what Joe Shade and Brian Dable are thinking right now. So uh, you have a point there. And Cowboys running back Tony Pollard. You just saw the drop off of that offense when he got hurt at that divisional round playoff game. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, you don't want to back on his current contract, and you need to help Dak Prescott all you can. Tad Tony Pollard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm usually against, uh, you know, if it's a running back, I'm going to automatically lean towards don't tag him. But Tony Pollard is more than a running back. Uh, no doubt about it on that Cowboys offense. He made that engine go. Uh, they've got to bring him back. And like you said, yeah, Zeke Elliott, uh, they got to figure out some way to get that uh, cap number down on him, rework that deal, whatever they do, make some more space uh, for Tony Pollard because he's the part that's driving the offense. So if you can't reach a deal, no brainer, tag him. Absolutely. And plus uh, the release of Zeke Elliott, that is an option as well for the Cowboys. And do not be surprised if that happens. And, uh, what 
is true for Tony Pollard. Could very well be true for the reigning NFL rushing champion, Josh Jacobs. If you're the Raiders, uh, do you tag Josh Jacobs absent a deal on March 7th? Hey, that's a tough one. Uh, again, I mean, the, the running back tag is, you know, outside of the specialists, it's one of the lower numbers out yeah, there. Yeah, just $10 so million. Dollars. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not like in the old days <laughs> when the tag first came out and it was a running back driven league. So yeah, he's, he's definitely um, worth that. No doubt about it. I just am, you know... <sighs> Boy, I don't know. I mean, I, it's tough because I look at the teams that are out there and I say, there's a lot of running backs. If there's one market that's flooded, it's the running back market. Um, they're loaded with running backs out there in free agency. So it may be a situation where the Raiders are a little more cap cautious and say, you know what? Uh, we're going to instead save our money and uh, go after somebody else a little bit cheaper there and get that same production. Be very interesting to see what Josh McDaniels does with that. I think it might be a case with a passover on the tag, but more than likely for 10 million bucks, bring him back for a year, see if he replicates it and draft somebody in the fourth round. Uh, so uh, you believe Josh Jacobs should be tagged or should not be tagged? It should be tagged. Should be tagged. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he isn't, but I think they're for for that tag number. I think they're going to lean that way. Uh, Twenty five years old. Coming, you know, obviously fit in that offense last year perfectly. They'll give him another year. I don't think they're going to sign him to big long term deal, but definitely willing to ride it out one more year. Yeah, I could definitely see the Raiders tagging Josh Jacobs to support whoever their quarterback is in uh, 2023. Is it Jared Stidham? Is it uh, Will Levis or C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young? Is it Aaron Rodgers even? Time will tell. And now the Chiefs have both their offensive tackles in Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley coming out of contract. But Orlando Brown Jr. just played on the franchise tag this past year. And Nate Taylor, who covers the Chiefs for the Athletic, reported that they plan to do so again, barring a contract extension on uh, March 7th. But what would you do with Orlando Brown Jr. in that case? Would you tag him again if you're the Chiefs? Yeah, I think I would tag him again. Um, you know, there's still some distance in the long-term contract in that value, but uh you know, I think we saw just in the you know, just in the Super Bowl we were talking about earlier, the offensive line and that performance by the Chiefs. Uh, Orlando Brown really stepped up in that game, and he's been a big part of that offensive line going from a weakness to a strength over the last couple of years. I think it's a no-brainer. You got to tag him, hope you can work something out, and if not, um, you know, well, you got Brett Veach to do some drafting, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely, but I personally do not think they're going to be in that part of the draft where one of the tackles that uh, has a clear first-round rate is going to be available, so I think they uh, don't take that chance and tag Orlando Brown Jr. Last but not least, Commander's defensive tackle Deron Payne, who had a Pro Bowl season this past year. Tag or no tag for Deron Payne? Um, I think they're going to tag him. I, they are most likely going yeah, to tag him. Most yes. likely going to tag him. I mean, it's, it's, but man, I mean, 
they just signed Jonathan Allen, his running mate, to a huge contract, right? Um, right. And you've still got Montez Sweat, Chase Young are coming up for big money in the next couple of years. I mean, can you pay everybody on the defensive line? Is that, <laughs> that the way they're going to go? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to tag him. I, I mean, I guess they don't have a choice but to tag him here. I mean, Washington, I don't think they can let him walk for nothing here. Um, and Ron Rivera, you know, he's in a big year here. He needs to turn this thing around here for Washington. And I don't think he's going to give up one of his best defensive players. So, yeah, no brainer. Tag him. Oh, you said it right there, Hal. Uh, this is a make-or-break season for Ron Rivera as head coach of the Commanders, especially with uh, new ownership likely coming in. And he is going to want to uh, leave the best impression possible on uh, new ownership. And uh, he's going to need Deron Payne's help to do just that. And he is Hal Bentley's gentlemen, of full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again for joining us. But before we let you go here, as always, we conclude our program with our challenge flags, and I'm going first here. My challenge flag goes to Texans owner Cal McNair. Cal McNair, I have never been more excited about the direction of your organization in its history to date, and I mean that sincerely. you got a great GM at Nick Casario, a great young GM, that is. A great young head coach in D'Amico Ryan. So my challenge flag to you is restrain yourself from meddling in football decisions and just let Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans do their thing. You got a boatload of draft picks awaiting you from the largesse of the Deshaun Watson deal. And you uh, have a coach that a lot of people around the NFL are going to want to play for. You got some of that staff in from San Francisco with Bobby Slowick as an offensive coordinator. And uh, you got uh, Matt Burke as a defensive coordinator, a guy with some play calling experience there. You are headed in the right direction. You've got all the assets available with salary cap space and draft picks to rebuild your team. Just sit back and let Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans do the job. That is my challenge flag you cal mcnair what about your challenge flag hal oh my challenge flag i'm gonna go out here and say bears general manager ryan poles you're sitting at number one in the draft and yeah it's a ways off and but we've got the combine coming up we've got everybody thinking about these quarterbacks we're looking at three now with richardson i see so many mock drafts with four quarterbacks in the top 10 um Please, Ryan Poles, don't overthink it. Don't trade Justin Fields and draft a quarterback at number one. Do the smart thing. Get the Texans, the Colts, uh, the Lions, the Raiders, the Falcons. Get them all bidding against each other for that number one overall pick. You've got Justin Fields. Auction that pick off. Get all those teams involved. Drive up the price for yourself and load up on both sides of the ball to support your franchise quarterback. Don't overthink it, Ryan Poles. I don't think the Bears are trading away Justin Fields. Uh, I think it's all just a smokescreen, Hal, uh, to like uh, drive up the price for that first overall pick. I hope that's exactly what it is. And, you know, Ryan Poles, don't overthink it and actually pull the trigger there. <laughs> I don't mind the mm -hmm. smokescreen, but you got your quarterback. Turn this into a boatload of picks and build around them. 
Amen, Hal. Thank you so much once again, my man. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to begin our 2023 Dash to the Draft series with our good friend Jeff Barnes as we discuss what to look for at next week's NFL Scouting Combine. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrob 59 as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with Dcrob. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell. And as always, choose love. Choose kindness, choose compassion, choose selflessness, and choose empathy, which are some of the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.